Welcome and hello to Grind Forever? Oh my gosh, I am your host today, Robert Beach, and we're going to be talking about RPGs. Not not multiple RPGs, but one RPG in particular. That said, what is on our plates this episode? This two-part episode, probably. Maybe two-part episode. We'll see. Reese, Reese, Reese Egner. <laughs> Maybe two parts, you know. I, I I came in wanting to talk a lot about this game and its DLC, and you are a mega fan of this franchise, and we're going to start with the very first game. And what game uh, is that? Borderlands. Oh, God, yes. Yes, yes. The original loot, loot and shoot? Shoot and loot, whatever shoot you want to call it. Yeah, f- first-person looter, I guess? I have something in the realm of almost a 1,000 hours in the series, so... Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> I've got friends who have put even more time than that into these games than I have. Like, according to Steam, on PC alone, I've got about 500 hours invested on PC, and that's not considering the time I've played these games on console. This is just, like, the ultimate time sink. Back when I was young and poor, uh, <laughs> but, like, on my own, I, my parents just wouldn't let me spend any money on games. So it's like, I get, like... Two or three new games every year. You need a forever game, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So it's like Borderlands was the perfect thing for me because these are games designed to be replayed endlessly and grinded With multiple playthroughs, exactly, yeah. yeah. Min-max the fuck out of everything. Like, the first time I beat Borderlands, I was kind of like, that's it. And then I went back to load my character and the game's like, hey, you want to do the game again? It's a bit harder now. You'll get cooler stuff. Hmm. Want to try? And I'm like, yeah. Let's do it. This is one of the first first-person shooting loot games before Destiny dominated that particular market. I would say because I'm trying to think of like any other like first-person, you know, like games with a lot of like loot-based gathering and sorts. Is, yeah, Borderlands definitely like is borrowing mechanics from games like Diablo, where you you know you just run in, you kill a bunch of trash mobs, you open up a chest, here's some cool stuff. Occasionally, enemies will drop rare stuff. Bosses have unique weapons that you can use. Uh, things here and there. Like, Borderlands has some of its own flavor in that respect. But for the most part, it's clearly just taking a page out of the action RPG mark book. You know, throwing a little bit of first-person shootering in there. And the first game definitely is, like, the roughest of the three. Where Completely, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's first-person oh mechanics are really weird and everything's very weighty but it just feels like you're kind of glued to the ground and the movement is kind of jarring and the enemy pathfinding is really bad and the animations are jank as hell. But you know, that was 2009 and... Uh, October 2009, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> Oof. Nine years, man. I can actually remember the day that I got the game. I just played it for fucking ever. I had so much fun with it, but man, nine years ago. Yeah, that yeah. That made me 13 God. when that game came out. I forgot how old I was, but I was probably in high school at that time, so uh, older what, than like you, but still three, four years older oh, than Oh god. Me. Oh Jesus. No, like like my own like personal experience w- with this particular game was alright, I'm gonna play as Roland, because I I I'm a sucker for turrets. And I'm gonna get to the you know, beat the game, play through one, then I get to play through two, save corrupted. It corrupted. And then I tried Mordecai, um Mordecai the Hunter and I got to the exact same place. It corrupted. So I had two two corrupted save files, and I tried it again for a third time, 
And I, I just left, instead of like deleting that previous corrupted slate save, I just left it up there and just continued to play on through there. So it's like, oh, well, I, I just have to leave this corrupted save up and I should be able to play, go through playthrough two just fine. Xbox 360, great experience. Many <laughs> hours were wasted I, I, on that fucking game. And, and just on that one, that first one, we're, we're not even just going to delve into two. That's just a whole nother realm. Hi, I'm Mission Narrator here. They did delve into Borderlands 2. For a while. No, two, one is already an enormous game. And then you go and play two and you realize like you hit the midway point of two. And you've already covered pretty much all the ground that the first game established, and then some. And then you... It's like Sanctuary being ripped out of the ground, and then suddenly you're forced to find a new... Uh, like, it takes its refuge in the sky. Uh, you know, just one of the weirdest moments... One of the weirdest, coolest moments of the game is just when Sanctuary just rips itself out of the ground and find its, finds itself, you know... Well, it, right, I already the, said the, it. it's the in the sky. Like it's just a, going on. yeah, it's just a crazy moment in the game. Uh, it comes out of nowhere. You you just suddenly find like you you switch out the core. This, this is Borderlands Two. This is not the first game. Like Borderlands Two is so much more focused on telling a tight narrative than the first game was. Yep. Um, it's oddly enough not to the game's detriment, but Borderlands One is just so light on the story. It's really just a go here, do this, go here, do this, go here, do this, and just keep repeating that over and over and over again. I, I thought there wasn't that much of a story, but it's it's just so unassuming about it. It, it, it doesn't like boast it. it. It doesn't like strut it out. It's it's, it's very much like a it, it knows it's it's a Diablo like video game where it's like you don't really care about the story. Just just go do the do like the MMO bullshits. Go kill things. Go do, go go do like the super video gamey shits. And there you go. Yeah, you've got your uh, four starter classes, and unlike Diablo, where Diablo is like, uh, occasionally you'll spec into passive skills that just happen, um, or like, oh hey, this happens on, this procs on a kill, or this occurs when you take damage, or when you're near death, and you just have all these different skills for different characters, uh, most Diablo skills are going to be focusing on active abilities, so you're just hotkeying all these things, you're just tapping... F1, F2, 3, 4, 5, and so on, and then just right-clicking to activate them, or left-clicking if you're, like, doing Lord. super crazy stuff. But, you know, when you're playing Diablo Diablo 2, it's a very different overall experience compared to Borderlands, where it was a game designed for consoles, and you only have so many buttons on a controller with the way that the game is designed. So you press Y right. to cycle through your uh, your weapons, or you can use the D-pad to switch between two specific guns. Uh, left triggers for scoping in, right trigger shoots, right bumper throws a grenade, then B crouches, A jumps, X reloads, and then you click in the left stick for sprinting, you click in the right stick for melee. It's the Call of Duty controls. Exactly. But then you press LB. Yeah, then you press LB, and then you use your action skill. And that's just one constantly refreshing ability. You only have uh, health and shields, like in Halo, Shields are generated over time. Health is replenished with medkits, which, remember, Borderlands 1 had medkits. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, you have... That's the system for the game. There's no other resources to consume. You only have your action skill that's on a cooldown and your guns. So all of the skills that you take in Borderlands are passive abilities. 
they're just they're going to activate when certain conditions are met or they're constantly active and this means that each skill tree is more defined by what part of the playstyle it affects and it doesn't often really change the abilities that your action skill has though it, it can like you can get more health regeneration from brick or bloodwing can affect enemies with elemental damage or it can or... hit multiple enemies or uh, Roland's turret fires faster, or Lilith had one of the weird ones where enemies you stand next to will be hit by shock damage. So you could just, like, go invisible and invincible because Lilith's ability made you both of those things, and just stand next to an enemy and passively deal damage to them that scaled up to your level. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't very much, but it was it it was noticeable to a degree. So it's just a very different kind of uh, character building thing. I think the biggest issue with the game is that it just doesn't really tell you what the characters can do in the opening video. You just kind of learn through experimentation. So a lot of people are like, I want the guy with the bird, or I want the guy with the turret, or I want the lady who can go invisible. And, you know, that's fine, because the opening video does show you what the characters do. It's just that... It's not that description. And the other thing, too, is you can't really tell that much. Like, okay, who's the DPS? Who's the medic? Who's the paladins? And and so on. Yeah, and that's a thing that Borderlands 2 definitely suffered from, too. It was better about it, but you didn't really get a skill tree preview or anything like that. You just kind of had to learn through experimentation. You never right. got to see the potential that, was, that characters had. And that's something that Diablo 2 had to an extent... Um, but I think it was a bit more clear over time. You know, people when, when Borderlands 1 came out, Diablo 2 was 11 years old. So people had 11 years to familiarize themselves with that game's mechanics. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of systems in Borderlands 1. It's a very simple... We, have, we haven't even touched the guns or the story or, 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 or the comedy involved. Oh, God, no. Man, we haven't even talked about how NPCs talk to you. That's... Mm. Oh, we're, we're getting to that. So I, I do want to lay some groundwork on the story because I was just re- reading up like, I go, what, 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 what's what's the premise of this? So like, we all know the premise, but like, you know, the, the, the whole like setup of of Borderlands. So what I read up was it's, it's the year 2864. Colonizers reached a planet at the edge of the galaxy called Pandora. Better life and vast mineral resources were promised, but... That was not the case. Alien ruins and vast deserts are what's in Pandora. The colonizing corporations abandoned the planet, so now they're forced. Prison labor is roaming free to create bandit camps to clash with the settlers. And then seven years later, the inhabitants of Pandora find alien technology and an alien vault that could lead to riches that leads off that leads to off-world interest from corporations and treasure-seeking vault hunters like our four protagonists. However, 7 Earth years later also meant the Pandoran winter has now become spring, leading to alien creatures out from their winter slumber. And there starts the beginning of Borderlands. You're driven by the bus driver slash Pandora's top gun vendor Marcus and you get to choose among four classes. Now, Borderlands does get far better with its genocidal p- protagonists in later games, but this one feels tropey as hell. You have the tank in brick, a hulking man, 
you you have the token black dude in in the soldier in Roland, and he's the only black character in the game in Borderlands One. Is he really? I never I, even I think paid so. attention to that. It's Man. it's just one of the things you never notice, and it's, it, until it's like, yeah, I've not seen a single like person of color or, or like like a distinguishable like person of color in this game besides Roland, pretty much. I mean, Mordecai and Mordecai is like ambiguously Hispanic, but that's. That's but but that was like remedied Hispanic. in the sequel. Where it's like, oh yeah, he is Hispanic. He's of Hispanic descent in the sequel. But it was kind of like ambiguous in the first one. Mm-hmm. So you have Mordecai the Hunter, the, the 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 wacky, somewhat white DPS guy, and his lovely familiar Bloodwing, his his uh, his bird he can toss out. And then you have the girl in Lilith. <laughs> she has boobs. Exactly. Yes. She she totally has 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 those. Uh, Human pillows, and that's pretty much her sole defining thing. Like she, uh, she has superpowers. She has tattoos. She has boobs. That's literally pretty much. And, and, and she, she's notified. She gets better in the as, sequel. I promise. Exactly. Yeah. She, she, she's just notified as the siren. It's like okay, I, I, I guess that means something. But it's just like I, I guess they're the mage, maybe or it's, it's again, it's, it's like really ambiguous. Like that she can turn invisible for a little bit. She's the in, invisible girl oh well i am i am so thankful that uh, borderlands got a lot better with this because it is not great <laughs> yeah the initial characterization it's just it does not offer a lot and then you get to the sequel and suddenly you've got uh the commando which you know axton as a character is not an interesting guy but he does he does kind of work but um then you have the more interesting uh, designs with like Salvador, who is a, a growth stunted berserker, but he's the gunzerker, so he's focused on like dual wielding firearms and screaming at the top of his lungs. But he's also about as high as cla- about as tall as Claptrap. So your viewpoint <laughs> as him is actually shorter than everybody else. You are constantly staring at people's waists due to where the camera is for him, and I think that's hilarious. Then you have, uh, like, the pre-sequel introduces, well, the ability to play as Claptrap, for one, which I'm sure many people did and many people did not. And, like, you, you just had you more... Have, uh... Yeah, you had more interesting, more varied character designs over the course of the games. Far more interesting ones with, with, with a personality of, of, of some sort, at the very least. Because, yeah. like, 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 Lilith has, has this little thing with, like, she sometimes, like, has this, like, evil cackle. And then, yeah. then, like, Roland's just, like, overly excited about, like, it's like, oh, sweet, more loot. Yeah. It's like in- Christmas. And <laughs> that's, like, the most, the most he ever says. Yeah, in the first game, characters communicate in one-liners. And exactly. And that's pretty much all they do. And that's that's true for the sequel as well. Uh, Borderlands 2, until the DLCs come along, and then the characters actually start talking, and you're like, wait, what? You're You're actually interacting with these other characters. I'm getting scared here. This sounds like growth in the character in the design department over here right and also in the sequel you can also find different audio recordings of your protagonist's backgrounds like what were they what they're doing before the events of borderlands 2 yeah so there's there's just a lot more hat like i i realized we were originally going to just talk the first game and we are inadvertently comparing the first game to the sequel and it's like this is what oh, the totally sequel better but <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard really to hard talk not about to. the first game without talking about how much better the sequel was in a lot of these regards i've, I've mentioned said, it multiple times before but it's like if you play the se- sequel you never want to go back to the first one yeah you do not i, I recently i 
like back when Borderlands became available on Xbox One uh, backwards compatibility, I had a buddy of mine who adored Borderlands 2 and just played the crap out of it. And suddenly he wanted to go back and play the first game. And I'm like, hey, Steven, you don't want to do this. This game is <laughs> this game is not... This is a hard game to revisit. The sequel is better in literally every way. Yeah. Yeah. And there are people who... Uh, like I've seen tons of discussion online about folks who are like, I miss the first game because the first game just had guns while the se- sequel had all these weird gimmick guns. And I'm like... The- the gimmick guns are what made the sequel more fun. Just, oh hey, this weapon class, you will throw the gun like a bomb, and it will explode when it hits an enemy, uh, and it just instantly regenerates in your hand. Or, uh, these guns always fire in bursts, and honestly, that would kind of suck. But the, the fact that the first game just had its weapons, and like Borderlands, it's pretty much defined based on how Every gun in the game is randomly generated from a series of parts. Accuracy and fire parts, rate scopes, and damage. Barrels. Exactly, everything yeah. will change and that will actually affect how the gun performs. So like some barrels will give increased damage and fire rate but reduced accuracy, or vice versa. Or uh, in some rare instances you might find a shotgun that has a barrel that lets it fire rockets instead of shotgun shells and it's really cool when you first find one that does that, and then you realize, oh, these are. It's bad. not effective at all. <laughs> no, it's 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 funny when you read the t- the text. And it's like, holy crap, it shoots rockets, and then thirteen year old me is like, holy crap, it shoots rockets, and then you actually go and use it, and you're like, oh crap, it shoots rockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, you just uh, like it came out to the point where it's like, okay, yeah, you have so many guns to choose from, but only like. 5% are actually, like, kind of worth your salt and, in like, trying out. Yep. Like, the mo- like, majority were, were just there to feel just the same. sell off. All the rifles feel the same. All the machine guns feel the same. All the rocket exactly. launchers feel the same. All the shotguns feel the same. Everything feels the fucking same. And that's, you know, it's fun to get... And that's why it's fun to get the, the legendary guns, because those actually add modifiers, stuff that makes the game more interesting. And, and, and the end game for every single Borderlands game is always just load your inventory with all the crazy legendary guns you can possibly find. Right. It, it, it just... It, it never really felt like it, it's like it was, it was... You would have your like typical gun, guns you would have, and then you would just... I don't know. It's, it's like you wait for like a better version of, of that of that gun you're using, and and just replace it. You usually have a, like a, like a set series of, of like particular guns. Let's, let's, let's say you're playing as Roland, and he specializes in shotguns and assault rifles. And it's like, oh well, I just need these two guns, and I'm good for a while. The, the thing is with, with Borderlands One is once you get. Once you get out of the starting area of the arid badlands, then it starts to branch out more. Then, then it means that you don't have to be continually doing side quests all the time to, do, to try to, to try to progress. Yeah, the uh, the starting area is just a real noob trap. It's it's really easy just to get caught in this infinite cycle of side questing, and the game really is like the first let area. I I hate because you have to. You spend so much fucking time there, and the enemies, like, so many of the enemies are scaled so high that you just have no, you have no option. You have to do the side questing because, uh, like, what's the name of the last boss? It's like Sledge or something. Sledge, right. 
Yeah, like, Sledge is impossible to kill if you don't have... if your level isn't high enough. And It's because Borderlands 1 uses a linear scale for its leveling system, while Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel use an exponential scale. So, Borderlands 2 is a lot more forgiving in the early levels and way more punishing at the high levels. So you don't need to side quest a ton early on, but you'll need to side quest once you're in, like, New Game Plus. So, you know, that first playthrough goes real smooth. It's not begging you to do every single side quest. And Borderlands 1, because the progression model is linear, you're constantly doing side quests in the early game. But once you've evened out and you've got some decent gear, it tapers off a little and it's not necessary for you to be constantly grinding and getting new, getting new gear. Exactly. Like once you progress to the, the later game in in the base game and and the DLCs, you you're, you're just steamrolling. Like once you have a good amount of guns and you're leveled up enough, and like I I, I, I had this uh, class mod for Roland, where like I would I would have this thing where it's like okay, you add these couple of more points to these skills and also plus twenty percent bonus XP to whatever your bo- XP you're you're earning. So you're already like so far ahead <laughs> where it just felt like it's like, well, I'm already like five, seven, seven levels kind of ahead of, of these like enemies I'm facing in like General Knox and uh, Robot Revolution. And like it, it was it was just so like got kind of boring at that point. It was just like 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 I said it on easy mode pretty much. And Borderlands 1 didn't have these systems because the game itself, while it had uh, like a you know passive character development and uh, unique weapon drops, like it wasn't as focused on that due to its linear scaling. It didn't need like you could use a gun that was level thirty against a level an enemy that was level forty. And due to how linear damage scaling works, if the gun was of like high rarity, it's going to be able to just punch rounds into him and he's going to drop in a couple shots. It's not going to be much worse than a level 40 gun of, uh, like, a blue level 40 gun versus a gold level uh, 30 gun is not a huge difference in Borderlands 1, whereas in Borderlands 2, it is an enormous difference. And that's just how, like, shifting from linear to an exponential mm-hmm. scaling model works in an RPG like this. And that's yeah, really I'm... where the RPG <laughs> stuff in Borderlands 1 starts to show. Yeah, with the, with the whole bit about, like, the, the gun rarity... Where like it has a scale of like again like a very MMO like Diablo s scale of like okay white green blue gold purple it's more of a World of Warcraft scale because Diablo one okay Diablo one was uh you had normal magic rare and then legendary items so it was uh white blue gold and then orange. Oh, man, it's been so long since I played Diablo 3, but Diablo 3 does a similar theme. Don't. <laughs> yeah, Please, God, gonna, don't. I'm going to avoid talking about as much as I can about Diablo 3, but uh, it's the World of Warcraft colors that Borderlands okay. uses, where you have the um, common, uncommon, rare, epic, legendary, and then Borderlands instead it actually goes even further in its Secret Armory DLC and adds Pearlescent, which is that light blue. Legendary and Pearlescent guns are always going to be unique weapons. So, unlike randomly generated guns that you can find elsewhere, like, there will be randomly generated parts on legendary and pearlescent weapons, but what they will not have is... What they are guaranteed to have is they will always be of the same manufacturer 
and they will always have the same effect, and they will always have the same name. So if you find a, a Hellfire SMG, it's always going to be from Malavan, and it's always going to have maximized chance to light an enemy on fire when you shoot them. So, right, it's, it's kind of like tailored like a boss weapon drop in some, yes, some way, like a, like exactly. a story-based like weapon drop. Yeah. Like, Romance. oh, you completed a quest, here's, here's your reward. But like, oh, wow, I, I just opened this box, and you know, the odds were in my favor. Yep. And Borderlands 1 doesn't, uh, it has a lot of unique weapon effects on quest weapons and boss weapons, but those weapons are going to be like... Gimmicky. Yeah. Like, one of my favorites, though, is, um, I forget the name of the quest line, but it's just a quest line to kill Scythids. And at the very end of it, you're like, here it is, the biggest, most baddest Scythid of them all. And it's just this little runt, and you kill it, <laughs> and then you go turn in the quest, and you get a pistol called the Dove, which is a reference to uh, John Woo movies. Because in John Woo movies, <laughs> characters never reload their guns. So this is a pistol that is really bad, but it doesn't consume ammo. It just fires forever. And it's just called the Dove. And it's... <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, John Woo movies, nobody reloads and doves get released in every other shot. <laughs> but Borderlands 1 just has that kind of cheeky, demented sense of humor in not just its weapons, but just about everything from character interactions to quest structure and plot lines. I mean, the uh, the Scythid quest line uh, happens right around the area where you go to, uh, was it, Janus Town? Janustown, yes. Yeah, Janustown, which is, you, you head there as part of a story, and it's, oh man, I remember when I first played that, it was just the most irritating thing ever. You go in there, you kill uh, one of the, like, you're sent there by the brother of the guy who runs the town. It's like, take down this town, we're going to turn it into someplace worth visiting. And you, you go in there and you, you kill all the bandits who set up camp in the city, and then you go and kill Janus Cobb. And then the guy who you worked with just immediately Taylor moves Cobb. back in yeah. Taylor and he takes over and now it's Taylor Town and you gotta clear him out again and this time you there's go, turrets go through that, that, same, that same area but then there's turrets and he's firing rockets <sighs> at you god the turrets are the fucking worst I, oh, yeah. Hey, oh yeah oh yeah he oh, has yeah. a chance at least when you kill him to drop the rocket launcher it's pretty good oh yeah I like admittedly like that that oh gosh that stretch I'll get to this later in the level select portion, but that whole stretch from like Crom's Canyon, they get to lead up to Crom's Canyon and then to Old Haven. That's probably like my favorite like bits of Borderlands One in the in the base game. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely it le- takes you through some of the most uh, visually interesting vistas in the game. Uh, it's some of the most challenging encounters you'll find more dynamic level design occurs in those like crumbs canyon is this super vertical almost like cylindrical level where you're just scaling the outside of all these band this banded encampment that's just hanging off the side of this massive stone pillar in the center of the canyon and you're just pushing your way up and up and up, and it's so so much more interesting than all of the previous locations you visited. Where it's just exactly because like, you have to like cross bridges. So like mm-hmm. if you get off the bridge, then you like pretty much fall to your death. But then you have Crom like in in his turrets at the top, or, or like he's the person you need to kill. But all he's doing is like firing rockets and his and his uh, machine gun turret at you the entire time as you're like trying to like dispatch and kill a bunch of his bandit goons. 
Yeah, and that, that's where Borderlands 1's boss, boss fights are probably at their best, is when they're trying to do different things, rather than just throwing a bullet sponge in your face and expecting you right. to just load them with lead. I mean, sure, that's fine. That's kind of what action RPGs always have been. But when you have an action RPG fused with an FPS, y- you can take some creative liberties and get a more interesting end product. And that's that's what a lot of the late game bosses you encounter are. I mean, the Rack Hive is a great example of this because it just comes out of nowhere. You fight in this massive open field and you pretty much spend the whole fight just kind of shooting it with bullets. And then you find out you can just shoot it up the asshole and deal critical damage <laughs> and make it shit itself, which is another thing. It's like very juvenile humor in most of its boss fights. That kind of stuff is really neat. And at the same time, it's such a, like the fight with the rack hive is so fucking boring. Cause it's just like, it's, it's, it's easy. Yeah. Pop its eyes. It's slow. All it's doing is throwing rack at you. So it's just really a, a just a, a mook boss fight where it's just sending its minions after you. You kill them, you deal damage to the boss, repeat until it's dead. A lot of the bosses in Borderlands 1 are not not that great. I, I, I would say Sledge is, 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 is one of the better ones. <laughs> Because of his shotgun, his shotgun, like at point blank range, can do like incredible damage. So you you have to keep it keep your distance from them. It also sends enemies flying when you shoot them with it. Yep. <laughs> so as soon as you as soon as you fire it, you have immediately lost the one advantage of the weapon, which is you can get up close to people and shoot them, and then just sends them flying backwards while you reload the gun. So you're like, yep. well. Once to kill him and get that gun. Oh yeah, but yeah, like some of the other bosses too. Like later on, were not that significant. They were just like, oh well, I'm another damage sponge. Sponge as my my uh, my two minions are coming after you, like uh, nine toes. Where it's like, oh yeah, I'm a guy with a pistol. I'm gonna shoot at you, and I have my like two minions, my 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 two skags, my two like little dog monster things. Kill nine toes. Don't even have to think about it. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like, well, that's all I have to do. And then like later on, when, when you're facing the Clint Eastwood parallel, um, Baron Flint's like, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm gonna send my goons with, with swords who have swords called uh, Hans and Franz. <laughs> yep, and then you get the uh, you get his automatic rocket launcher shotgun, which that that's pretty fun, e- even if it's again mm-hmm. like we previously discussed, not great. And that was that was definitely the thing that I think kept me playing Borderlands was just all the bosses had such weird and fun guns when you killed them. So I'd, I'd go back and fight them again because being able to get the higher level versions of those weapons was always really exciting. But yeah, like I, again, like going back to the story and like, I'm, I, this is a, this is an episode that's supposed to be praising Borderlands, but like there's a lot of concessions to be made because it, it's nine years old. It has a, it has a successor in every sense of the word. And it's also nine years old. So, like, comparing it today, like, there's there's a lot of potential with this first game and what it was trying to strive for in in its own, what it was trying to, like, do more with less, so to speak. But it it just ultimately, like, I don't want to say failed, but it it just wasn't really landing entirely that well. Like, recently, like, I, I replayed the entire, practically the entire game and the DLC with, with my partner Sarah at my side with it, and it was it was it was fun, but like I I, I can I can totally see just just like it's like mm, really wish they didn't do this, mm, really wish I can have this ability, 
I don't want to be tossing my weapons to the ground to, to, to kind of like force a trade yeah, and between two characters. Borderlands 2, the weird thing is that that game came out only three years later. So exactly. They learned so much from reception to the first game and came out with that and it was just immediately the improvements were not only noticeable but improved the game tenfold it's funnier it's like faster the combat is more kinetic the guns have more punch the guns are more defined it's far more in your face with with the humor and like the the distinctions between guns and its environments and like oh god again like most of borderlands is just like desert Desert and Sahara, both oh like stuff. Oh my god! It's, it's, it yes, is... I mean it's it's like an episode of Firefly in how everything is structured. It's just desert, 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 metal, 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 desert, metal, desert, desert, metal, sewer. Yep. yep. Okay. One sewer. Snow. Snow. There is snow, which lasts for all of like two hours because you barely spend any time at the salt flats at all. Yeah. It's <laughs> and, 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 and like it's like okay, go in these caves too. Like there's like go into like literal like cave dungeons. The go, same go cave like over and over again. You just enter it and exit it from different locations, so you don't really Pretty catch much. on until you're like late in the game. You're like, wait a second, this is the exact same fucking cave every time. It's like Dragon Age Two. Like <laughs> it's exactly what Dragon Age Two did. It's the same cave, but you enter it from a different location and you exit it. Excuse me, and you kill enemies in a different part. Like, there's a, what is it, the, not the antlions, whatever they're called, um, the, but the antlion, oh gosh. yeah, the antlion things from, they look like the antlions from Half-Life. With, with like, giant, like, uh, oh gosh, they're, they're nuclei in, 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 in like, back there, that's a critical point. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I tipped my tongue. They're, uh, carry on, they, carry on, though. Spider ants, the spider ants, come on, they look like spiders, but they're also ants. Yeah, but you're going through a cave of that late in the game, and it was at that point that I realized this is the exact same cave that is outside of New Haven. This is the exact same cave that is in the Arid Badlands. This is the exact same cave that is visited in every Russ single Cummins time. East or West. Yeah, yeah, it's just every single time I need to go into a cave, this is the one that I enter, and I realized it when I was opening up a chest. And I, it clicked with me that this is the same chest spot that a chest spawned in every time I went to a previous cave. And I was just safe scumming so I could open up that chest repeatedly. And it was in this area that I noticed, oh, it's in the same spot. This is the same geometry. This whole thing has just been recycled. And they do that with the bandit hideouts too, where a lot of... Uh, bandit hideouts are actually better about it, but... Because they're not just the same cave, it's just that they reuse the same room assets over and over and over. And it just leads to everything feeling really samey and gives off less of a vibe of, hey, it's a charming action RPG with randomly generated environments. More mm-hmm. like, because you didn't do randomly generated environments, which I'm actually grateful for. I recently played Shadow Warrior 2, which tried to do it, and it doesn't work at all. The lack of randomly generated environments means that everything has to be individually curated and since you go into this cave over and over, and I realize we're harping a lot on this, even though you spend so little time in caves, but it really is like just the most boring locations you could possibly go into, you visit so fucking often. Plus, with, with like texture wraps of just, just, just like 
the lowest poly images possible, or it's like it's intentionally looking like crap, but it it just looks like it, it it's a poorly rendered environment where like you're looking at buildings, and it's like this isn't that detailed, and you're looking at like a pile of trash, and this this doesn't look that detailed either. Everything but the character models, it it just looked ugly as hell. Again, like 2009 game, open world game, but yeah, it, it was just not so, even really open so world. Much. It was just it, it just had larger levels than most shooters at the time, but they're right, still yeah. segmented by lawn loading screens, so it's not truly open. That's actually something that I'd really like out of a uh, third Borderlands game, like excuse me, a fourth Borderlands game, but <laughs> the third, no fifth, because there's tails. Fuck the next Borderlands game is I would want just constant streaming, like data streaming, bring the next, bring me into the world, and as soon as I'm past that initial loading screen, there are no more past that. And it's so interesting, too, because you look at Destiny, and you can see, like, so much of the Borderlands DNA is in that. And then, like, I'm looking at Destiny, and I'm thinking, like, okay, you know, I really wish I had a Sparrow in Borderlands. Like, like, like this, like, like this, this vehicle I can just call upon and just like, pretty much just, just like traverse faster in yep. an area. I mean, the capture rides are there, but it's a specific terminal you need to go to to get a car, and it just doesn't, it doesn't work as well. It doesn't mesh. Not to mention the vehicle in the vanilla game is just a boring race car with a turret in the back or rocket launchers if you want to have right. a worse gun that doesn't hit all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 again, I want to speak more to the positive, but it's there's like, there's just so much of it that, that like I, I want to like about it, but it's just like I, I, I gotta voice it. Yeah, I got yeah. I, I, I gotta you let you know. You have to take the good with the bad. <laughs> exactly, because like at its core, two thousand nine, it was it's like you can look past a lot of like really okay stuff for 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 two thousand nine and say like no, this this is a like a fucking awesome foundation they're building i just wish that they, they, they did more with it i just wish that there, there, was, there was something else that goes along with it because like at its core it, it's 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 a comical like oddball shooter that 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 feels pretty nice yeah and, then, and you did get more uh with the dlc like the first dlc uh zombie island of dr ned is a very different environment and tonally very different because you're visiting, you get to see how a different corporation affected the world. Uh, the vanilla game is just the doll corporation. You get to see how they really mucked up the Badlands. But in the right. uh, first DLC, you get to see how the Jacobs Corporation fucks everything up. And the answer is people turning into were-skags, uh, zombies. Werewolves, zombies, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just so, so utterly bizarre uh, you get and, and again, like the, the whole game is about like okay, let's let's try to colonize the planet, but then the corporations give up or they they're trying to like force the issue, and through through like corporate corporates you know poor intentions and and it's Borderlands, so everything is malpractice. There is not <laughs> a single there is not a single instance of actual responsible individuals in the Borderlands universe. Not even the good characters. The good guys are, like, the closest you get, but even they still ally themselves with people like Scooter and Dr. Zed 
and Patricia Tannis is like, Dr. Zed's not even a doctor. He's He's not even a real doctor. He doesn't have a medical license. (laughs) Like, there's even a side quest in Borderlands 2 where he sends you off to kill another doctor specifically because that one, in spite of being a bandit, is more qualified to be a physician than he is. So, yeah, I I think that's where Borderlands' biggest strength comes from is like, all the side quests... Be it, when you ignore the fact that the side quests are just like go here, kill X bandits, kill X boss, uh, collect X number of things. They are so weird. You read the text for all those missions, like Borderlands One's uh, side quests often didn't have voice dialogue associated with them. So but like the, all you had was the text. Oh yeah, yeah, you had the text and that's it. But if you actually take the time to read them, that shit's hilarious. There's a the side quest dumpster diving for great justice. I don't know why the name sticks out in my head to old Haven. And like that part, it's right in the middle where you have to go find this one per- person back in new Haven. He has porno mags everywhere. Yeah, exactly. So you have to go find his like secret stash of like porno mags. And it's like, and like m- m- when you try to pick him up, there's text on him. That it's says like, Ew, like, the pages are kind of stuck together. Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> like, like, that's what, just what, the item description. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like, what Borderlands 1 does and like and continues on from there, it has like a, a, a background information or, 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 or just has like the, the quest giver like detail you the quest and like what you need to like what the background is for, for this quest. And then there's this completion um, text to it. And I, I did collect like a bunch of them just, just because like it's like, yeah, this, this is fucking funny. <laughs> but but like the, the whole like conceit is it's like yeah it's a side quest you just like uh, go through a bunch of uh, dumpsters around New Haven and just can you just pick up my porno mags and yeah, my wife threw out all my porn could you go get it for me <laughs> yeah and, and, and like he ended it saying like thanks man I'm trusting you to keep this under your hat right here I'll pay you with this the <laughs> I'll pay you well to keep this secret don't worry that the, that the money's a little damp I just wash my hands <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have like like oddball shit like that, yeah. Just, there's an there's an earlier one called uh, Fine Bruce McLean. Yeah, it was it was that boiled down to like, hey, I'm trying to find my fiance. Go go find this person. You find him, and it's like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> and like it's another course. It. Yeah, and then you find him. And it's it's like he was trying to like have like a, a like a get rich quick scheme going on where he's selling a bunch of like cigars to like bandits. And then, like the first one he gave to, it's like immediately, like ha- like gave the bandit like internal bleeding and like died instantly. So the bandits like forced that product on him and died. <laughs> and, 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 and like the end of the text says, like you should go find these cigars and make sure they're not they're, like not some like random kid would find it in a dark alley and use it. It's like it's, it's, it's like the, the, like are there kids in this universe? I allegedly <laughs> are, they, are they real? Are there even I I. Hmm. I mean, the closest thing you can get is Claptrap, I guess. But even then. Oh, and then right. there's Claptrap. Oh, man. Like, the first game, it's weird going back and playing the first game after playing Borderlands 2, where there is one, and there is, like, one is enough, but Borderlands 1 is just filled with Claptraps. They are, <laughs> they are everywhere, they are loud, they are annoying, and then somehow... In the sequel, there is just one, and he is worse than all of them combined. 
Yeah, two is definitely like the, the deciding point. It's like, okay, do you like tra- Claptrap or not? Because if you don't, I'm sorry. I mean, and if you try to pre- play as him in pre-sequel, the game actually warns you several times not to play as him. <laughs> it's oh, probably, it's one of the best gags that they have in the, uh, like, like Borderlands has engaged in a couple of gags in the user interface before, uh, but the pre-sequel just nagging you about not, like, are you sure you want to play as Claptrap? Really loud, really annoying. Nobody likes him. You want to play as this? I don't know. Like I, I, I really like that design decision where it's like, okay, let's try to reduce, like, like pump the brakes on Claptrap. He's obviously kind of our mascot of the game, but a lot of people don't like him. So I know it doesn't make sense if you want to make him a playable character, but then that just means we're like, oh, I can play as the other like four characters instead of this one, and not have Claptrap there at all. But like I say with the with the gags with the user interface, and then in Borderlands One, with this, if you have subtitles on, Commander Steel, the uh, the protagonist that I guess I, the antagonist that I guess has been uh, telling you not to do your thing through the whole game, she appears at the very end just to kind of say, uh, I guess this game does need a villain, doesn't it? Says a couple things, and she's got this really long line of dialogue, and it's this whole line of dialogue, and as she's saying it, she gets stabbed through the chest by the real final boss, which is the creature inside the vault. But she's got a whole line of dialogue that just isn't said in order to uh, just kind of make you think that she's going to be the final boss, I guess. It's a very... Right, it, 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 it gives you strange. like a paragraph of dialogue and it just yeah. cuts out like halfway in. It's like, it stretches like, oh, from one side of the screen not. to the other. She gets maybe two words out and then she, there's a hole in her <laughs> chest and she's dead. So oh, yeah, the series, the series has always been good about these meta gags. And I think... Uh, I think the series only improves with them as time goes on. But uh, anyway, man, we've been talking for how long? We haven't even got to uh, the point of the point of discussion we were originally aiming for, which was talking about uh, what makes this... what makes Borderlands the base game good. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't gotten to the, the, the other part now. Oh boy, uh, <laughs> I guess it looks kind of cool. I mean, it's an ugly game, but it's got this unique comic booky aesthetic with the. It's not cell shading, but it does have that outline effect, which gives it a distinct flavor that a lot of games did not that, have at the time. Yeah, that, that, that distinct, like, black. Yeah, the thick black outlines on objects. And if you've seen the stuff with uh, the next Borderlands game, they've actually got a system for shading where shadows will be a cross-hatching effect that can dynamically appear on objects. So looking forward uh. to that, because Borderlands 1, if there's one thing it really struggled with, it was shadow quality. They are very blocky. There is no shadow filtering at all in the first game. It's noticeable. But it did make up for the fact that the console version of the game did not have any anti-aliasing whatsoever. So there's that. So what made Borderlands 1 good? Well, the humor is definitely the thing that really defined it for me. I I don't think I would have stuck with the series as long if it didn't have this tendency to want to make you laugh. And frankly, the the base game isn't that funny. It just has gags here and there that are fun. Like, the side quests are funny, but the main story, the characters, they're all so bland and uneventful that it's really just kind of like this personality uh, devoid experience that is just like, hey, fun guns, boring enemies, boring environments. Like, why did I like the first game? (laughs) This conversation is making me realize that the first game really does not hold up. Right, it, it it felt more offbeat and weird, 
and that that was where the humor came from. Like some of the humor you had to like try to go and find with it, and you know, and, like part of it was too. Um, again, the story it, it really just boils down to. Well, um, I gotta go kill these bandits because uh, the locals want me to, and then I go pick up a vault piece. I gotta go kill these bandits because the locals told me to. Um, I'm gonna go do these things because the locals told me to. I gotta go pick up that vault um, vault key piece. Assemble the MacGuffin, and then go to the like get the MacGuffin stolen from you. The bad guys open the uh, use the MacGuffin key to open the MacGuffin. And then uh, they die, and then you kill the MacGuffin boss. What is it? And the then sealed, you win, I sealed guess? Sealed evil in a can, and then the credits roll. You also have Jesper Kidd working on the soundtrack. And if, for those who are unfamiliar with Jesper Kidd, he's been with the Borderlands series since its inception. But he also worked on franchises like Assassin's Creed. Uh, he's the guy who did the uh, Ezio's Family song that has basically it's become pretty much the, the theme, theme, the theme for series. the yeah. entire series. Yeah, yeah, like his work is. Like him and Raisin Varner are, are like the two through lines for, for for like the soundtracks of Borderlands. I would say, yeah, like the, the soundtracks are, are they're not like an immediate hit. I would say, but it's like a slow it, burn. It, it can it, it can surprise you, like it, like especially one where so it's like you, you listen to Firestone by itself and it's just like oh wow, there's there's a lot of like good guitar noodling in here. Yeah, and it's and then, uh, it's a once really you reach relaxing acoustic track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a nice little background song. Just do Yeah, I I love that tone. I love just about every single song when the game is not having you uh, in combat. All those tracks are actually really great. It's just good exploring adventure kind of music. You're mm-hmm. having like, hey, you're in in the desert, and it really does sell that vibe of uh, this is a wild west. Like the you're new, you're, you're the in a space west. western. Oh yeah, and for as ugly as the game is. I think the music really does justify the vibes of that boring brown background. It's like, yeah, when you hear the, uh, when the music amps up a little bit in intensity for combat, you're like, this is a shootout. Just the, I don't even know what the instruments they use are, but it's just such a different, such a different sound compared to what really any other shooter has as its combat. It's like even Red Dead Redemption, which would come out a year later, did it really evoke that kind of Western vibe in the same way that Borderlands 1 did? And I think it's mostly because Borderlands 1 is going for like a space techno Western. It, it, it's hard to describe, It's a very, but it's, it, it's something you really need to listen to because I'm no professional musician. Uh, right. I'm not somebody who studies music theory. I don't know any of the terminology here. All I know is Jesper Kid knows how to play the fucking guitar. <laughs> and it really works. And Borderlands 2, I think, goes... Like, the sequel's definitely taken in a totally different direction, because... They, like, pre-sequel leans fucking hard on the synth, man. Oh, yeah, see, it's like... It's uh, it's, it's fucking great, but... It's, it, it is great. It, it also kind of loses a bit of the identity that the, the stuff that you hear on Pandora has. Not that I think that's necessarily a bad thing, because pre-sequel has an identity onto its own. It's mm-hmm. Space Australia on the moon, which is... It's just, made by Australians, so, like, well, might as well make it, like, Australian os hail. My god, they really just lay on thick all of the Australia <laughs> jokes, and it somehow never annoys me. It's just, it's, 
Whenever they make a joke about Australia, it is the funniest, stupidest joke in the you game. You never hear it, though. Like, it's like, like, what other game leans this hard on Australia? Yep, like, uh, just punch off, uh, just punch off those uh, locks there with your meat hunks. That's a uh, moon for hands. <laughs> it's like uh, the longest. It, it's the extended cut for Bart versus Australia that I never Simpsons. Knew I yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like all it's really missing is a level where you hop into like a moon marsupial's pouch and find out that it's all gross and mucusy. <laughs> <laughs> Getting off track once again. Borderlands. That identity uh, for the first game. It, it, it's, it's it was really... always going to go in one of two directions. It was going to be like a, a bland, but a bland and serious storyline with decent characters and the occasional bouts of humor in the side quests. Or it was going to go just go in hard with the jokes. And that is exactly what it did with its DLC. Like the first DLC, um, Zombie Island of Dr. Ned, is completely, completely on the nose the whole time. Even in spite of the fact that you're just... Zombies and werewolves or were-skags should be grim as hell, and it's instead really silly and funny because of the way that it's all portrayed. And, uh, it, it's got a Night in the Woods vibe, even though it's it really doesn't work because it's, tr- it's just being so damn silly, and you find, like, TK Baja from the vanilla game is there, but he's a zombie now, and his quest line is just, like, headshot zombies and collect their brains, and it's the most tedious... <laughs> Awful it side is, quest ever. It is. And your it, it was surprisingly easy to get, it. though. Yes. I mean, the last one is, like, get 10,000 zombie brains. You can it's, do it in like, a matter of like an Get, like, 200 hour. or so. And it's it's like, that's a lot, but the, the, the way that DLC is, like, the, it's, it's mostly just zombies. And the zombies are just, like, well, they either, like, vomit out on you or they, they, like, all gang up on you. And, like, the, the real, like, interesting thing about that DLC is that they, they most of the time they don't have guns so like all they have to the only strength they have is their numbers so they just keep coming at you and they just rely on that brute force to come and attack you and that, that's just like the, the common like zombie enemies and like sometimes they can be bullet sponges sometimes they're not but just it's just like a nice little like diversion into something different for like a dlc like okay yeah we're gonna make a a joke dlc where it's like yeah it's zombies but we're gonna try to do something a little more on the nose a little more self-aware with dr ned yeah and there's there's actually another meta joke at the very end of the dlc that always cracked me up and it's a joke that only works if you played the game on the xbox because it's you, it's a joke told through the achievement system where when you kill Dr. Zed or Dr. Ned, uh, who is definitely not just Dr. Zed wearing a mustache, over his surgical mask. It's like, it's not just like there's a mat, there's a mustache. It's, it's literally just Dr. Zed's model with a mustache that has been stapled to the outside of the mask, as if to say, like, it's literally just Dr. Zed. He put on a fake mustache and didn't even realize that he put it on the mask. It's he could have just tucked it, tucked the mask over the mustache and had the mustache kind of poking out. It's, it's the most low effort disguise <laughs> it's, possible. It's really, <laughs> it's a joke unto itself. Really, when you kill him in his boss fight, then he turns into uh, zombie Doctor Ned. But the achievement for killing just Doctor Doctor Ned is a one gamer score achievement. 
and you get the other 49 gamer score when you kill Zombie Dr. Ned a minute later. <laughs> and it's a joke that does not work on PC. It does not work on PS3. It only works on the Xbox 360 because it's a joke that can only be communicated through that system. It's like if you got a like one one experience point for killing him, which I'm pretty sure you, you get. It's like getting a, a getting a bronze more. and then getting a silver in the, on the PlayStation. Pretty yeah, much. but even that joke doesn't work that well because it's just because a bronze trophy is worth definitely a lot more than getting uh, one gamer score. Like a bronze trophy is just it, it's like a hey, it's like 25 yeah, gamer score it's like kind of thing. Where it's like 25. It's a silver is worth like between 50 75. Uh, it depends on the developer. They, they, there is no mm-hmm. clear, um, how you say, exchange rate for trophies to achievements. Because I've like seen you, you can you can put put it set it to like okay from one to a thousand usually with like Xbox three sixty mm-hmm. or Xbox gamer score. But then you have PlayStation where it has like bronze, silver, gold, and platinum, and like you have like those four levels compared to like one to a thousand there and then pc games just like oh they're, they're just ex- achievements there's, there's no thing. point value it's a square yeah, exactly it pops up in the lower right corner of the screen you're like oh i guess i got one of those cool i, I don't really care for achievements or trophies and i don't really want to talk about this too much but it's still in the heyday of yeah. of when achievements kind of kind of sort of matter or it's like it, it, there was this like kind of rat race among friends yeah and the fact that borderlands decided to get clever with that I, I really appreciate it because it was just it's a funny moment when it first happens and you're not <laughs> expecting it. You just you get one gamer score and you're like, that's it? And then you get the other forty nine gamer score when you kill the actual final uh, boss. You're like, oh right, right. I get it now. When Zombie Island is done and you're thinking, Man, you know what this game really needed was a really bland horde mode because its combat was just so much fun and so engaging. So I just want to fight enemies endlessly in a gauntlet where I don't get any experience points for it's, killing it's them. It's the most you ever face the the Iridians. Yep, pretty much. It's and like the, that, get, that's that's the thing too. Like we're like I I created like a list of the wish you did this co- the cool idea better. Yep. aspect to it. <laughs> yeah, the Underdome Bo- Riot is uh, what we're talking about. By the way. That's a yeah, Borderlands the one second, second DLC. But, but but like that whole thing where it's like it, it, it introduced a new enemy type late in the game, and it's like oh oh wow like I I don't know like how much more of the game is there left, but the, it was just so fifteen minutes sure. There are fifteen minutes by the yes. time you first fight the Iridians. <laughs> Practically like like not even like a fifth of the game that that's left. Like you you face this new enemy type where where it's like oh wow like I could have been facing them like earlier. I mean, like what what they did with the Crimson Lance was very similar, but then it, it made sense in in the story where it's like, oh, like suddenly those they they are the protagonists now. You're fa- facing a bunch of bandits, and then suddenly, like, oh no, the Crimson Lance have your MacGuffin, have your thing that you need, and you have to fight through like hordes of them to get to what you want. And then you reach like, oh crap, there's aliens here. We're like, digging through the, the the alien sites, and then it just ends. Like I, I like the idea where it's like you you feel I feel like you're like progressing through this alien world and you're not entirely getting to to that that, that really juicy part where it's like oh this is where it gets interesting it can, it kind of like reaches that point and then just ends which is kind of disappointing and like the other thing too like Mad Moxie's DLC like this this would have been great this would have been a great supplement to the main game. And included a bank for weapons, modifying combat challenges. Not gonna lie, utilized definitely like, bought it for the bank and yeah. bank alone. <laughs> it, it utilized like every enemy and previous boss, 
just so you can fight them in like a horde mode. Like, okay, like this round, or no, no, like th- this wave is going to be the wave where like all the, all the cycles come at you. Like all the people who are trying to like melee you to death or like, okay, this is, this is the wave where all the advanced um, characters come at you. Like all, all the badass versions of characters come fight you. And it, it has like different like modifiers where it's like, okay, every other gun, but pistols are effective in this wave. And like, oh wait, wait, and then you have like another another modifier where it's like it's a, it's a vampire skill where oh you're you're slowly losing health, you need to kill people to regain that health, and oh gosh, it's a boss wave, so you have to fight this boss, and there's only so many enemies you can kill and like re- regain your health, and you you you're just left in a bad position because of the because of the randomizer the the, the RNG. Yeah, not to mention the fact that the arenas are just really. The same kind of bland, boring arenas you've been crawling exactly, through, through yes. just about every other combat encounter in the game. Uh, the enemies are not the AI is not smart. It's only nope. really it's only really challenging based on how much damage it can deal to you at any given time. It's very easy to outsmart. Uh, it just it's a cool idea, and for ten dollars, it's a ripoff. Yeah, <laughs> for, for 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 like standalone DLC. Okay, you get for, like, extra d- skill d- points, it's, I guess, without bullshit. leveling up, but. It's it's bullshit. It's either like annoying and shorts as as a DLC, like oh that's it. Like I just have like complete like these these three three areas that take like an hour hour and a half to do each, or or, or like stupidly frustratingly long and boring. Because like it starts you out like oh yeah like do five rounds of this, and it takes like an hour and a half, and it's like, what if you want to do twenty rounds of this area? Yeah, you want to do twenty rounds of this area, don't you? Uh, that means that means like six hours per area, and right? And by the time you've completed all three arenas for the first time, you've already heard all the dialogue that Mad Moxie has to say, and she is the only person who is going to be talking to you through this entire DLC. Exactly. You don't earn e- e- XP at all, which which is like you know what? Fine, that's fine. But do do I get any like good weapons out of this? Because nope. it normally drops good weapons like after the, after you defeat a boss, you know, like complete a round, and no, it doesn't at all. Enemies don't and drop then, money. They don't drop ammo. They don't drop exactly. Health, they don't drop anything. So at the very end of five rounds, you get a little bit of like just a little dribble of loot, like a tiny little shit stream. Where you're trying really hard to get it to come out and nothing does. It's just there's you know. there's, there's like hardly any notifications. Like oh, I, I guess we, we're getting weapons now. And then like after every wave, like you you you, you you're just like pelted with like uh, ammo and like health pickups that that you kind of really need. But then it 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 just it appears and then you literally have like a couple seconds to pick that stuff up. And like sometimes you need to pick up like multiple so, so you can like fully restore your health and fully restore your ammo, which you'll need in later rounds. But then like it, it like the, the there's this pop up of like okay let's see let's, let's spin the wheel and see what 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 modifiers are gonna come up next. And it's like I I can't see I I, I want to pick up pick this shit up and I can't because I can't see. Yep, and that's but, pretty much the whole that's emblematic of the whole of the DLC. There's, like, the Zombie Island is like, oh, hey, here's some interesting enemies to fight, uh, but there's not really, there's no new weapons to get, there's no really exciting bosses. The level cap isn't increased, so if you already hit the cap, then there's nothing here for you. Um, yeah, and, 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 and then, and like, again, Riot like, is just, like, bland combat arenas with frustrating 
uh, design choices that don't really make any sense. And and, and if you die in a round, or, or if you die in a wave, what would happen? Do you, do you like? It's, it's this really shitty middle ground where, all right, let's say you're in the final wave, final round, or no, round five, and you're on the boss wave. Well, so wave five, round five, and then you die. You die, and so you and 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 your and your team die. What happens? Do you get returned to the same wave? Nah, not really. It's it's, it's a little too nice. You you, you don't get get reverted back to the beginning of round five. You get sent to the beginning of round four. So you just lost an entire round just by dying. It's it, it was just such it was such like an insulting thing to see where, where it's like like it's like well it's not enough for me to like quit the game. And it's not enough for me to go like, well, this is easy. I can just die again and trust try again. It's it's just this really shitty middle ground that they they try to do, like instead of just like reverting yourself back to the beginning of the round and still progressing the previous round, you just you know knock back another round, two two rounds practically. Yeah, and this is another thing that Borderlands Two improved on because um, pretty much every major location in the game included some sort of combat arena that moxie was running and you would survive five waves of enemies and they get progressively challenging and mm-hmm. there would be more of them and the ai two was not much better but it was noticeably better than it was in the first game because you know enemies that just run towards you and shoot bullets until they reach you and they just stand at your feet and shoot you at point blank range and punch you occasionally like it's not hard to improve on that so you have more dynamic arenas, more interesting enemy AI, and then at the very end you get a unique weapon for Moxie, and the enemies do drop uh, mm-hmm. XP, health, and ammo. So these quests aren't completely wasting your time. Those arenas are everything the Underdome should have been, wasn't, and it's, it's showing like in that just the three-year span from the first to the second game, Gearbox managed to improve wholesale on almost every single flaw that the original introduced. Yeah, and, and one last thing on the like, wish you did this cool idea better thing, yeah. the fast travel thing. Like, the, 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 having like an entire like quest line, is like, it's like, oh yeah, we used to have like, like this this uh, fast travel thing. Yeah, if you can just like go ahead and like, uh, you know, turn it on, that'd be, that'd be great for us. Like, that that's that's kind of funny. That's, that's, a, that's a fairly like meta, <laughs> interesting thing to do. But then you have to like get through that like agonizing arid bad- badlands area, and it's it's just like that area, like you said earlier, is always such a drag. Just banging your head on a wall, asking for some sort of variance, but it's the same t- thing every time. Every tower, every single enemy is <laughs> going to be the same at the foot of the tower. They're not going to chase you up it. You hit the switch, and like God, there is just so much menial, annoying bullshit in Borderlands 1. And it's just... I, I I feel bad that it's like every single time I bring up something bad about Borderlands 1, I have to say in the same breath, hey, Borderlands 2 didn't do this, though. But it's true. And it, it makes it feel like this podcast is turning less like, let's talk about Borderlands, and less, more like, let's talk let's about shit what Borderlands... Let's shit talk it. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk about what Borderlands 1 did wrong and what the sequels did so much better. But I, 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 the, the through line for, for like Borderlands 1 is like it did set the stage... It's not the sum of its parts, I, I guess you can say. It's it's, it's more like the whole experience of it. It, 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 it like all, it has all these like negative things going for it, 
but at the time it was still worth playing. It was still like interesting enough and like doing a lot of cool things and like unique things that it would make itself different in that time period where it would be worth playing. Which then leads us to Secret Armory. And this is where Borderlands 1 is actually quite amazing. Tire screech. Yes, that's right. We're ending the podcast here and now. Ah, well, you can actually listen to the second part of uh, our Borderlands talk in Level Select, the next episode of Level Select, which should be coming out next week or right now in the Patreon feed. Little plug for the Patreon feed. Since this is a two-parter, it was almost three hours long. Once again, the second part of this Borderlands RPG level select talk will be on Patreon and is up right now. And if you're already listening to it or you're already a patron, thank you so much. And see you next week or let's see, um, whenever you're ready to listen to it on Patreon. Well, you know, you can stop this right now and just continue on. Just, 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 yeah. All right, yeah, I see how it is. Yep, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna end it on a dumb little audio thing I made the other day. Wait, is that? Oh no, not again! Run! Please don't shoot me! Please don't shoot me! Please don't shoot! It's time to eat gas and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of gum.